Hey, welcome back to the Heaven Here Now podcast, where some former pastors and their friends talk with people all across the religious and spiritual spectrum about the radical shift that happens in life when we stop viewing heaven as something that may only happen one day far away and begin to believe that heaven is a hope deep inside the human heart, that we have both the power and the responsibility to bring into existence here and now. I'm Jesse Dukes, and on today's episode, we make a new friend, a Heaven Here Now kindred spirit. He's a local nonprofit leader and a former pastor for 35 years. It was such an honor to sit down with Frank Mercer. Frank was the pastor at Rolling Hills Baptist Church for many years, and he shares his story about going on a journey of this shift towards Heaven Here Now. They were doing wonderful ministry, but he went on a mission trip and encountered another church doing fantastic work in the community, but faced with a very challenging decision. They had a meeting, um, a church leadership meeting, and one of the deacons spoke up and said, Pastor, I'm concerned that if we become a church of brick and mortar, we may trade out all of the mission and ministry that we do for a mortgage and maintenance on a building. That story would prove to be prophetic in Frank's own life as he would lead his church through a similar decision. They sold their property and chose to invest the money into the local community through missions and ministry. It's such an inspiring story and we're so excited to share it with you guys. We're gathering people to bring heaven here now. Thanks for coming along on the journey with us. All right, hey, welcome back to the Heaven Here Now podcast. Thanks for being back for another week. We are here today with Frank Mercer, who, Frank, this is my first time getting to meet you, right? Hello. Hi, Jesse. It's great to meet you. Yeah, great to meet you too, man. So you and Katie have kind of talked a little bit, but um, right. so so I actually don't, don't know a ton of kind of what's going on, but I know you have an awesome organization that you're working with right now that we just actually did some GoDay partnership with just recently. That's right. All right. So for the person that kind of doesn't know anything about Frank Mercer, let's start with what you're currently doing and, and work backwards. Okay. okay. That sounds great. Uh, so I am uh, a founder, executive director, uh, lead chaplain, public safety chaplain for an organization called Four Heroes. Um, we work uh, specifically with Four Heroes, fire, EMS, law enforcement, and 911, uh, friends and heroes who serve in those areas, um, taking care of the rest of us. Um, and as they're taking care of the rest of us, they're exposed to all sorts of uh, trauma. Um, they see things they can't unsee. They feel things they can't yeah. unfeel. And uh, trying to uh, bring them spiritual and emotional support to uh, not only them, but to, to them and their families. And so that's that's where we see our mission. And uh, we've been going for, uh, gosh, I've been doing this for almost 10 years. The organization has existed for almost five. And uh, I've been full-time at this since uh, last April. Wow. That's awesome. That's, yeah. That's really cool. So like we, um, we, we, we've started nonprofits too. So we, we've lived through uh, kind of what you're going through. And I know that, you know, nonprofits don't get started without like a passion, you know, from some of the individuals, like share with us, like what, what kind of, what made this personal uh, for you? What kind of drove your engagement um, with this? Yeah. Well, the thing that made it personal was my house caught on fire. <laughs> Been there, dude. Yeah. It became very personal. Wow. Uh, I, uh, I was cooking a brisket. All good stories begin with that sentence. Oh. <laughs> and uh, about two o'clock in the morning, uh, I, I took the brisket off, uh, wrapped it, laid it to sleep and rest in a cooler. And uh, I went out on our deck and uh, closed the vents on my smoker. And I went to bed. It was a thing that I had done a hundred million times before without incident. But um, it was an historically hot summer, an historically dry summer. And I didn't know anything about radiant heat. Uh, I was cooking over a, uh, on top of a wooden deck on the back of our house. And 
you may or may not be aware of the fact that wood burns. Um, <laughs> I've heard something like that. Yeah. At 4.30 in the morning, my wife woke me up. Uh, the smoke alarm had woken her up, and uh, she's pointing out the window of our master bedroom that overlooked the deck, which is now fully engulfed in flame. And so we uh, immediately started waking kids up, get everybody out of the house, get the dogs out of the house, put her and the kids and the dogs in the SUV. She'd already called 911. My oldest son and I went out on the deck. Uh, our plan was to uh, try to just put a little bit of water on what had started. And uh, I went to the garden hose uh, and it had uh, melted to the side of the house. Hmm. Um, it was, uh, as I say, it was fully engulfed. We started just sort of a, a bucket brigade, he and I passing uh, pots and pans with water in it. But, and fortunately, because the whole thing would have burned down without uh, the fire department uh, arriving when they did. Uh, what the fire marshal told me was another 10 to 15 minutes and the entire house would have been swallowed up in flame um likely with our family in it we'd have lost everything including wow. our lives um well wow. um incredibly grateful for a wife who sleeps um lightly uh for smoke detectors that work isn't that all mamas i feel like yeah <laughs> i will hear any little thing at night <laughs> oh yeah uh, and um, incredibly grateful to Fayette County Fire Department for uh, showing up so quickly. Response time was unbelievable. They went right to work and put a stop to the fire um, almost immediately. Uh, it had gotten into the wall. Uh, it was into the subfloor uh, there at the basement um, underneath the kitchen floor. Uh, it was just a matter of time, and uh, they put a stop to it. They saved my house. They saved my family, and uh, we were incredibly grateful. And I remember standing there in the driveway in uh, dusk, you know, early morning. It's just starting to become light. And looking at the silhouettes of these strangers walking up and down my driveway past me doing their job. And I just thought, man, you know, we, we caught you guys in the middle of the night. You were asleep. You got out of your beds. Um, you you put on all your gear, uh, you rode out here, and you stopped this thing. Uh, when I needed you most, you were here for me. And I thought, mm -hmm. when they need me most, I'd like to be there for them. We started looking for ways just to express gratitude for what they'd done. And uh, I had a personal friend who was an assistant chief, um, Chief Pete Nelms, who's since retired from Fayette County. And... Uh, after a few months of uh, just looking for ways to reach out, Pete offered that they had a position for a volunteer chaplain, and was I interested in that? And I told him really honestly that I had never been chaplain of anything in my life, not even a Little League baseball team. Um, I wasn't sure what I was getting into, but I'd be willing to talk. And so he invited me to come up to headquarters and uh, to meet with the other chiefs and talk about expectations. And um, I went, their expectations were incredibly low <laughs> because what I've discovered is that um, most chaplaincy for public safety is as simple as um, a pastor putting his business card on a bulletin board and saying, call me if you ever need yeah. me. And uh, yeah. uh, what I know is that um, they'll never make that call. Uh, right. No relationship. And so I offered that, um, you know, if, if I was going to be a chaplain, uh, to me, I saw that as being a pastor uh, for public safety. And that meant I had to be in relationship um, with their folks. Uh, could I have access to the stations? Could I come in and just sit at the table and drink coffee with these folks and uh, spend time with them? Um, could I be uh, allowed access to uh, high you know, critical incidents, high impact calls where uh, you've got uh, injured people uh, and maybe even fatalities, uh, that I could be present. Uh, that's a big word for us, present. That I could be present. I love that. Seen, um, so that I'm available 
the first responders um, available to the families of the victims, uh, even available to um, just innocent bystanders who just witnessed a, a horrible tragedy, um, available to them, um, able to pray with them, able to pray for them, and then uh, going back to stations and um, debriefing and talking about the incident one-on-one uh, -on -one or as a group. And um, they were kind of shocked that I was offering to do that. And I yeah. guess I didn't really understand the breadth of what I was offering. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I jumped in and quickly um, just, just fell in love with the work. Um, the opportunity to step into um, these places that were sometimes dark, lonely places and uh, create a relationship and foster a relationship with, with these heroes who've now become my friends, uh, to, to love them and to be loved by them. Uh, I used to say that I sensed that I was bringing Jesus into these dark places with me. But, you know, what I've really come to understand is that Jesus was in those dark places all along and uh, mm -hmm. just inviting me to come alongside him um, to uh, to be part of that work. Um, it's, it's really um, been one of the most profoundly satisfying things I've ever done in ministry. Uh, mm -hmm. I, uh, I love these folks. Uh, it goes mm -hmm. beyond... I'm grateful for them. Uh, we're all grateful for them, but uh, right. I'm, I'm burdened for them and uh, they're part of my family. Um, I love this. So we talk to so many people that are like pastors or run nonprofits and I sit here and I listen to them, but I don't think I've ever been sitting behind the phone like this and like been moved in the way I have been listening to your story. Like I'm, at one point I was literally like holding back tears. You telling me this, like just your compassion and heart for them and just saying like, I want nothing but to be present for you. Like that is, I love this. I love your story, Frank. There was a, we, we were sharing a, with a group doing go day and I was reminded in first John four where it says, nobody's ever seen God, but when we love one another, his love lives in us. Okay and is made complete in us. Yeah. And I, like, man, when you were sharing that about like, yeah, we're not, when we go into these dark places, you're not bringing Jesus into that place, but you are manifesting and putting skin right. on Jesus and God's love to give somebody like a tangible, physical way to see it because nobody has seen it. But when we love one another, it, 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 it becomes real. It becomes made real and it becomes real for them and it becomes that much more real for us. Yeah. That's what it's all about, Jesse. Uh, yeah. All about. Um, we, we call it a ministry of presence because um, it, it doesn't happen otherwise. Um, you gotta, you've got to be available. Uh, you've got to show up, and you've got to keep showing up. And, you know, there are plenty of times that I walk into a station and we talk about absolutely nothing. Um, we, uh, we, we laugh and we enjoy being together. Um, we uh, deepen the friendship that way. Uh, but that entire time, um, we're, we're building confidence, you know, uh, building bridges that m may have to be crossed one day when somebody really needs to talk about something. And I, I guess that's part of it is, is that we talk about a lot of nothing in order to earn the right to hear their deeper story. Um, yeah. To, to earn the right to one day talk about something that really, really matters, uh, heart, mind, and soul. Um, yeah. yeah, that's so good. I say one that our, a lot. Oh, go ahead. One of our, one of our values, uh, Frank, is relationships are the win. Yeah. Like when you prioritize relationships there's something and this is this is this kind of goes back to like we talked before we started recording about like the shift like there's there's a fundamental shift that kind of happens and part of this shift for us was realizing that you know 
and I can only speak for myself, Katie, you know, might say the same thing in ministry in in the church, it can feel like the win was getting people to Sunday morning, mm. you know, like getting, getting people like into this specific place at this specific time. Right. Um, but the more that, you know, I've, I've kind of grown and you spend time with Jesus, you know, you realize that Jesus's agenda was just relationships. Like mm-hmm. he wasn't like, I'm trying to get you somewhere. I'm trying to, you know, seal some deal. Right. I'm trying to get you to, you know, pray some prayer for, for all the prayers we make people pray. Jesus didn't <laughs> invite many people to pray those same prayers. It's kind of weird. Right. Like he just, he, it was that ministry of presence, right? It was like, he was incarnating love um, to those people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus, I love that. Yeah, the same sheet of music, man. I, I, uh, it's, it's entirely incarnational stepping, uh, you know, he steps from heaven, earth comes and and lives on this island of misfit toys um you know to to live Hmm. life we couldn't live and die the death we couldn't die Uh, we're stepping into a uh an island of misfit toys every time i go to a station every time i get in a squad car every time i walk into the radio room at 911 um it's a world of pain and i think that's a thing that people don't understand so much they're the strongest and the bravest among us right um they solve problems. A police officer friend of mine told me not long ago, you know, when he shows up on a domestic call, everybody expects that he's going to walk in and create order out of chaos. There's going to be peace. Uh, He says, you know, if they knew the truth about me, they they may not let me on the front porch. (laughs) Uh, Hmm. Everybody's got their own baggage. Everybody's got their own And uh, often they're dealing with... uh, uh, just the uh, worst kinds of things, the heaviest kind of baggage, um, looking for uh, ways to help everybody else. I, and, and I even think there's a little bit of a psychology to it in that they are masking their own pain. They're able to bury their own pain because they're helping me with my pain. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you could even say that about pastors too, in a way, you mm-hmm. know, That's same thing. So well. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, um, do you feel like everything that happened with COVID and just like the overarching political climate, do you feel like that's added on to the pain and the darkness that you're seeing? Oh, absolutely for certain. Um, COVID was a game changer for them, a game changer for us too, because for all the talk of presence, there was a long time when um, I wasn't allowed in the fire stations anymore. Um, yeah. Everything mm-hmm. we did, we were doing by text and phone and uh, pulling up side by side in vehicles and um it was a real challenge and uh just like everybody else is still trying to get over uh the trauma of all the isolation and and that these folks are dealing with with the same thing and certainly with the political climate um i mean we think about that with with law enforcement more than the rest but it's it's affected all of public safety the entire public safety family and um i i don't know What's going to make that better? You know, um, uh, these are my friends and, you know, I, I want them to be safe. I want them to be, uh, respected and appreciated, but they're, they're also just, just people who, uh, you know, are people, God and, um, there's a dignity to that or should be, uh, for all of us. Yeah. Frank, I'm curious, man, like there's a, so we do a, a, a mentoring program that also is like aimed at kind of whenever we're helping somebody to try to get at some of the deeper needs mm-hmm. um, underneath. And one of the kind of the backbones of that kind of is, is the hero's journey okay. of, you know, recognizing that really the, the choice to voluntarily suffer mm. to like, to say, Oh, like there's this, there's this, you know, there's, there's a dragon you know, patrolling the hills, like threatening the community. Right. I'm going to choose to take that on. I'm going to choose to, you know, serve my community mm-hmm. um, in some meaningful way, like to take on this kind of like heroic action. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, my personal belief is like, that's the thing that's missing from the, from like the modern life of the believer, right? That like, I, we all have this unique responsibility to find our place of service to our local community, right? Like not, 
not just evangelism, not just like tell everybody the news that like, oh, hey, Jesus did this heroic thing. Right. But also for us to engage to say, I've been given unique gifts mm-hmm. and they're not just for me and they're not even for God, you know, whatever. They're for my community. They're given for the good of my community. Right. I just wanted to get like your thoughts. Do you see things in a similar way? You you were a pastor for, you know, 35 years. Um like, do you, do you just mind sharing kind of your thoughts on, on that idea? Do you see that the same way? <laughs> and how long is this podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, I think that part of, part of what drives that is at least, at least in the American church, there is, uh, there is a consumer mindset that uh says you know what what can the church do for me yeah the church is here to serve me the church is here to serve me and yeah you know some of it some of it is the fault of of pastors like me who spent years trying to figure out how to get people in the doors of the church by offering bigger and better uh bells and whistles and uh you know you can only get so so big and so better, and uh, you yeah. can't take that any further. And the minute somebody down the road has better bells and whistles than you do, uh, you find that um, you don't just have uh, a front door; you also have a back door. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, uh, you kind of got a revolving door because just as quickly as people are in, people are back out. Um, yeah, we say know. this all the time: ninety-six percent of church growth is transfer growth. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And it's indicative of the problem uh, because, yep. uh, look, there's there's greener grass, um, and and boy, uh, people jump from greener grass to greener grass. Um, there came a point in my ministry as a pastor where I understood that I was actually part of the problem. I couldn't just mm. point at the folks in the church and say, "I can't, mm-hmm. I can't believe," it. I'd helped create it. Um, yeah. yeah. It meant that we as a church had to change the way we thought. I had to change the way I led. I had to change the way I taught people and discipled people. Um, that that led us as a church actually to um, sell our, our property and use the proceeds from that sale uh, to launch mission and ministry um, both across the street and around the world. Um, mm. We did that for... Uh, for 12 years, we did that, and um, and that's what led me to where I am. Just this this different look that th- this doesn't exist for me. Um, I'm not here to uh, get what I can get from it. Um, I've been strategically placed in a community with a certain set of gifts, right. and. I've got to look for a way to leverage those gifts in a way that best serves um, the kingdom of God, um, making the kingdom visible in a community where it is all but invisible. Yeah. What was the turning point for you, Frank? Because so many pastors don't see that, like, we are part of the problem. Like, we're keeping that going. We're keeping this hamster wheel going. What... Mm -hmm. What made you change your ways? <laughs> um, there were two things really that I can I can look to as part of the turning point. One was a, a phone conversation I had with a guy who left our church, um, and uh, I, I asked him where he was going to church, and he said uh, that they they weren't really. Uh, he said we we visited a lot of churches, and he said I think we. Uh, didn't realize how much we appreciated uh, the fellowship um, at our church. We didn't realize how much uh, we um, valued the worship. And and he said, and, and you're the best preacher I've ever heard. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, right. <laughs> I said, well, that's awesome. I mean, that means we're going to see you this Sunday. And he said, not so fast. <laughs> when When you guys build a family life center, when you hire a full-time youth minister, um, and he went down this long list of, of demands. 
Um, give me a call. <laughs> Here's my ransom note. Right. When I got out, I'll give my family back. I don't negotiate with terrorists, you know. All right. <laughs> and, and, right. Right. And that's what my friend had become. Uh, about the same time, I went on a trip to New York City. Um, I, I'm going to give you the short version because the long version is really long. <laughs> Interesting, I think. Maybe another time, but. Um, yeah. The short version is I met with a pastor um, in Jamaica, Queens, New York, who, when he picked me up at the airport, he said, um, hey, do you mind if I swing by the office? And I said, no, I don't, I don't care. I mean, I'm in his car. He, we can go wherever you want. And he took me to a Dunkin' Donuts. I thought it was funny. We got out of the car and we walked into Dunkin' Donuts. He steps up to the counter and orders a couple of coffees for he and I. Um, and he knows the people behind the counter. He calls them by name. They had they had names that would be a winning hand in any game of Scrabble. <laughs> and we sat down in this booth, and he said, "This is this is my office. This is my desk. This is where I study. This is where I meet people." And I realized, oh, he's serious. Um, he had a relationship with the people working behind the counter. He had a relationship with all the regulars. And this is this is where he did his administrative work and his study and uh, all, all the meetings and counseling he did happened in the Dunkin' Donuts. He drove me around the neighborhood and he started pointing at, um, hey, this is the uh, clothes closet that uh, we donate to. This is the food pantry where our folks work. This is the drug rehab center where... Uh, we help bring addicts, and uh, and we drive them home. And we have a couple of folks who are even counselors here. This is the shelter that we serve in. Uh, this is this is the the park where we do uh, kids clubs during the summer. Uh, everywhere we went in that community, he could point and say, um, "Oh, my church does this. Oh, my church is serving here and there." And his church was smaller than my church. I scratched my head and I thought, wow, this is this is incredible. He 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 took me. We pulled up in front of uh, the All Saints Lutheran Church in Jamaica, Queens, New York. We got out of his car, and uh, he said, "Come on in." He pulled out a key and he opened the door, and I said, "Okay, you got me at the Dunkin' Donuts as your office, but um, you, you're you're New Hope Christian Church, and this is the All Saints Lutheran Church." what's the story? And we're walking down the stairs to the fellowship hall as he says, well, the, the Lutherans um, are all dying off and, and they're relocating and they can't afford the upkeep on this property. They can't afford the mortgage um, unless they rent it out. There's a daycare that rents space uh, during the week and we rent space here on Saturday nights and Sunday nights. We have uh, a college event every Saturday night and on Sunday night we have worship. And um, I was blown away that they were doing so much in the community, and they didn't even have a building. Uh, hmm. Sat down at a table down in the fellowship hall, and I just asked him, uh, how hard is it to do all the things that you're doing, and you don't even have a, a, a brick-and-mortar facility to call home? He said, well, there was a time when... Uh, we were offered a building. There's a Chinese congregation down the street. He'd actually shown me their building earlier. Um, they, uh, they're like the Lutherans. Uh, the congregation's older, they're relocating, and they're dying off. And there was a developer who came in and offered that congregation millions of dollars for their property. And the congregation said, we'd rather sell it to a church. We'd like for there to be a church presence here. And so that pastor called me and offered their property. Uh, he wanted $10 million for it. He's like, I didn't have $10 million. Uh, yeah. But I started calling in favors, and we started raising money, and we started to think, hey, we're going to buy this property. We're going to move. And he said uh, they had a meeting, um, a church leadership meeting, and one of the deacons spoke up and said, Pastor, I'm concerned that if – we become a church of brick and mortar. We may trade out all of the mission and ministry that we do uh, for a mortgage and maintenance on a building. Oh, and, yeah. goodness. 
we That's so true if we become a church of brick and mortar we may cease yeah. to be a church of flesh and blood hmm. and it was like god took his fist and just pounded me in the chest wow. i went down and cried in the basement of the all faith lutheran church with my new friend just um wondering what's wrong with me <laughs> and um, that was actually the turning point um my friend dave levy uh who for years after served as our missions coordinator and at that time served as our treasurer was with me on that trip and he heard that same story that evening when we took that pastor to dinner and god spoke to dave just like god was speaking to me we got back to fayetteville georgia and dave called me a couple of days later and said um so here's what i think he said i was uh thinking this morning and i think god wants me to write a book i said okay dave <laughs> i'll bite what what's the book he said well it's a book called here's the church where's the steeple and hmm. it's all about how this little church in fayette county georgia fell so in love with the redemptive purposes of jesus that she was willing to forfeit her identity her security, her property, everything in order to join him in what he's doing, which has had very little to do with our brick and mortar building. Hmm. And I was sold. Love I it. said, actually, you know, Dave, I'm with you, <laughs> but I, I was there with you in Jamaica, Queens. The whole church was not. We're going to have a hard time. I mean, we, we got to cast vision, and this is this is going to take a while. I mean, four or five years before we're going to be able to bring the church around on this. And he said, if what you tell me every Sunday is true, and I know that it is, we may not have four or five years to get this done. And even hmm. if we do have four or five years to get this done, it'll be too late for so many that we could help right now. So we started putting it out to uh, kind of concentric circles of leadership in the church. And I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. I kept waiting for somebody to say, absolutely not, this is never gonna work. And nobody ever said it. As we started sharing it out uh, within the leadership of the church and then the church as a whole, I couldn't believe that um, really the Holy Spirit unified our church so much in that moment, this crystallized vision of a hmm. church without walls, a church that was flesh and blood and not brick and mortar, um, became more than just an idea. It became a reality. And that's what we did for the last 12 years. I served there as pastor. Wow. Dude, that's incredible. You didn't tell me I need to bring tissues to this session. I mean, seriously, I'm sitting here just like so emotional yeah. over this. This is amazing. I, I, this is such a beautiful story. It's so encouraging. I mean, it is. I mean, I just, I keep thinking, I've never heard it put that clearly, but like we think a lot about like, what does the next generation of the Jesus movement look yeah. like? And what you said of Ooh. churches are going to have to make a choice between missions and ministry or mortgages and maintenance. And yep. dude, that's it. That's a hundred percent it. I just, I was thinking back to, you know, Jesus, the guy comes to Jesus and he says, Hey Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he said, foxes have holes and right. birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Yeah. He's like, he didn't, he's like, I don't, I don't have a base of operations. I don't have a, you know, a home to go back to. Like if we're going to, if we're going to, if we're going to be on mission, if you're going to follow me, we're going to go. Right. That's right. We're going to be, we're going to be moving. Yeah. So we That's talk right. about this all the time. What is your opinion on why the Western church is where it is today? What, what is stopping everyone else from doing this work? Like the real work of the church, instead of going and sitting in seats and playing, playing church, what, what's the problem? I think so much of it has to do with how we measure success that you really got to change the scoreboard, you know, that you've got to understand that success is not how many bottoms you have in the seat. Uh, it's not how big your budget is. Um, when, when we did what we did, um, I started saying out loud publicly to anybody who would listen, Hey, um, if, if you're interested in 
a singing Christmas tree or a WANA or um, a sports program uh, or a family life center. Those are all really good things. Um, we don't have them. And we're not interested and in may, And maybe like one or two churches in a community need those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. And I can right. point you to a dozen of them. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's like Target and Walmart are fine, but we, we only need one or two. Right, right. Every church has a DNA, and that was not our DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we didn't, even though we chased that DNA for years, I think when we came to a realization of, oh, wait a minute, God has called us to something other than that. And, and that's okay, that we didn't have to be just like everybody else, and that, that we were measuring success entirely wrong, that it wasn't about how many people we could put in the seats. It was about how many people we could launch into the world yes. uh, with the gospel of Jesus to not only share the story verbally, and I'm all for that, but also to demonstrate it tangibly, uh, to show people in tangible ways that, that God loves them um, is a powerful thing. And uh, that's what we became all about frank where have you been <laughs> like where Seriously. have you been you are my, our I'm people. Like, yeah frank you're you're a people man our one of our favorite verses is uh, the other part in first john of you know dear children let us not love with words and in speech but in actions that's right in truth and it's like i just i we see it so much that, that and i i hope that you know any older people in ministry or pastors realize that that's all the next generation and the people that aren't close to Jesus really care about at this point. That's right. It's like, there's been so much, there's been so much talk. There's, you know, talk, 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 talk about, you know, how great Jesus is, how wonderful the kingdom is, all this other kind of stuff. But when it comes time to like show up with real, you know, tangible love, it's like crickets, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there are pockets though. There are these encouraging, um, hope-filled pockets of people who um, have uh, had the courage to step out of a perfectly good fishing boat to um, join Jesus out on the wind and waves uh, to, yeah. to do what he does. And um, it's, uh, there's nothing easy about it. Uh, we're, we're swimming against the current. Um, we um, are sometimes seen as as a, a threat to uh, church as uh, we've come to understand the church. Um, we're not a threat. Uh, what, what I came to realize was that growing up um, in the style churches that I grew up and eventually led in the 70s and 80s and 90s and aughts um, was um, detrimental to my own spiritual health that um, we'd created this this monster uh and i had to unlearn so many things yeah um Same. you know god god broke me and i had to unlearn so many things and then wanted to wanted to build the kind of church that my children could advance this understanding that you know this this was my ceiling but it could be their basement, that they could take this idea that much further. Uh, and we've watched as kids came out of our church and stepped into uh, college or um, you know a, a job uh, as they've moved and they've gone other places that um, some of them uh, became church planters and some of them uh, became missionaries and some of them became worship leaders and i could go on and on and on and i don't mean that everybody's involved in vocational ministry either i just mean that they came to see themselves as they grew up in um this culture that we had created or that god had created in us um they saw church differently and they couldn't be satisfied necessarily with the kind of church that uh, their friends settled into and that's part of what's given me the greatest joy is uh, seeing where the next generation is going to take this. It's what gives me hope yeah. Yeah. because I feel like my generation worked very hard in reverse. So, uh, Frank, I guess the first thought was like, 
I, I love that you talked about how it feels like love was the thing that drove where you were going. Yeah. And that's what's just encouraging to me. It's like, I think people get scared because like, I don't know, I don't know where to go. Right. Well, my experience with this, and I think Katie's too, has been like, love's a great leader. That's like Peter, you know, in there, he's in the boat and he just sees Jesus out there on the water. And he's like, well, crap, this is safe. This is normal. I get that. But like Jesus, who I love is like out there on the waves. And it is, it is scary, but like, I don't know. My personal experience is it's also been kind of exhilarating. Yeah. And I'm, I'm guessing that's probably been the same thing for you, but I want to know, like, what's that been like for the people of Rolling Hills? Like, where did, where did they go? You know, what's that, what's that been like uh, for them? So I think part of, <laughs> part of what affirms to me that this was God's idea is that none of it went the way I planned. Um, when, when I landed at Rolling Hills 18 years ago, um, I imagined that, uh, it was going to be, you know, everywhere I'd ever gone, the church, the church had grown, um, numerically, we'd always baptized a lot of people, you know, it's going to be that kind of church. Um, those things didn't happen for the first time ever. We hit this wall and as I said, God God used all of that really um, to break me and to reshape my vision and understanding of what church is. Um, in the 12 years that we met outside of that brick and mortar building, uh, we we actually met in a movie theater. We met um, at the NCG theater at, in Sharpsburg for most of that time. And um, what we would say is that um, you know, when people ask me, where's your church? I would say, well, we gather on Sundays, um, at the theater, um, in a public place, um, with the door propped open and people coming in, uh, because they start showing movies super early. Yeah. People walking down the hall, eating popcorn, drinking their Coca-Cola, headed to see the next whatever. And they would pause outside our door. And they would listen while we worshiped and sometimes stand there and listen while I preached. Um, we even one Sunday had somebody come in, stick their movie ticket in their pocket, and they just sat there and uh, sat in on the entire service. But it was not unusual for us, even when people didn't come in the door and plant, to stand there at the door and listen. I had the opportunity to lead people to faith in the hallway at uh, NCG. Um, it was such an amazing thing to meet in a public place like that and to um, be able to really express the gospel um, in, in that public setting. Uh, we did that for 12 years. You know, this is where we gather, but we then scatter. And uh, during the week, um, outside of uh, a small group that meets in somebody's home in a neighborhood, um, man, we're in your classroom, we're in your office. We're in your grocery store, yeah. <laughs> we're everywhere. And that's really how we saw it, that we were uh, on the move, um, trying to advance um, the kingdom of Jesus by serving Jesus, by serving others. That's, that's in a nutshell, what we lived our lives based on. We want to serve Jesus by serving others, um, which I think is the very best way to live. Yeah. We, we did that. Um, and for 12 years, the church didn't really grow, not, not in the classic kind of way. The church didn't get bigger. In fact, the church continued to shrink mm -hmm. because even though when we sold the property, everybody was pretty much gung-ho about it once, once you got into it, and it was hard, yeah. um, a, a lot of people um, decided this wasn't for them. It whittled us down to a, a core of folks. Uh, we found that uh, people uh, that we were trying to reach, um, the, the kinds of friends that you would invite to come and to be a part of uh, a fellowship, uh, your, your neighbors, your friends, your family, those folks, this was not their idea of what church was about. And they admired it, but they didn't want to do yeah. it. Yeah, um, same experience. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it's heartbreaking, mm -hmm. you know, um, we, um, came to a place, 
last year, um, you know, really almost about this time last year, where um, the elders from the church and I started talking about uh, the future, and we we've been looking at this for a long time. It's like you know, is is what we're doing um, sustainable? That's the word that we would use because we're getting older, right? I mean, yeah, you made reference to my age earlier. You're, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm 56 years old, um, and I've been at Rolling Hills for 18 years, and those 18 years have flown by. You know, I was 38. I had four um, kids, 12 years and younger, you know, relatively young kids, and um, everybody else in the church was about my age and had the same kind right. of family and we grew up together our kids grew up together um and so now everybody's still about my age and we didn't have any kids our kids were all grown and gone and we've been serving and um doing all of these things just trying to love people into the kingdom and we'd had we've had great success in that but the church didn't grow numerically. It grew deeper. Yeah. It grew warmer. Um, our reach was longer, um, but it, it didn't grow numerically. And where God brought us to a place of was, um, you've done everything I wanted you to do. Uh, well done. You've done it all. Now I'm really going to scatter you. We came to the church last winter with this idea that we scatter. That Easter Sunday, which we celebrate as Resurrection Day, is also going to be graduation day. That's going to be the that. last time we meet as a family in this context. And, um, you know, after you graduate, you got to go get a job. <laughs> um, hmm. That, that like, you know, like a, a dandelion stem, um, God's going to take a deep breath, and the very breath of God, His Spirit, He's going to blow and scatter us, and we're going to land in different congregations, different fellowships of believers. Um, we're patient zero, carrying the contagion of serving Jesus by serving others into these congregations, um, trying to influence impact and uh, even infect if necessary <laughs> um, yeah. so that others would join us in that cause. So um, if you ask where we are, um, we're in a lot of places. All over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, we've kept good tabs on each other. And uh, it's cool to see us encouraging each other. And there's a bunch of us actually next week that are joining back together uh, to go to Juarez and uh, build a house together. Um, it's going to be a good week um, serving it. It'll be like old times. Um, I love that group of folks, that core of folks. But it is like a graduating class. Mm -hmm. Like everybody's taking their gift and their passion and this vision of serving Jesus by serving others and are plugging it in to another fellowship now, hoping to uh, use that influence to turn that other church um, in the same direction, um, in a in a constructive, productive, positive kind of a way, and um, it's really um, it's kind of satisfying, you know. Uh, there's there was uh, I don't know people people react to that differently. Um, there are a lot of folks who think um, that I must be really disappointed with the way it went. And uh, the truth is, I couldn't be happy yeah. because I yeah. feel like um, we grew up. Yeah. And um, yeah. we we did what we were supposed to do. And uh, we, we graduated from that school and we're taking what we've learned into uh, new places. Uh, and just like I stepped into this, I mean, one Sunday I was the senior pastor at Rolling Hills, Easter Sunday. Uh, the next day, the Monday after Easter, um, I was the executive director and lead public safety chaplain at For Heroes. <laughs> and um, 
serving Jesus by serving others is still what I do. I love it. Hmm. That's awesome, man. That's so cool. I think, uh, and I won't go super far into this, but I do believe that one of the big things that our culture is missing is how to, how to die. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, I think that's, I think like Jesus is, I think the only, I think the only people that can really teach that are Jesus's people who know that death isn't the end. That's right. right? We know that like death, death and resurrection, like is just the cycle that, that like the Holy Spirit just leads us into again and again. And I've, I, I believe that that's one of the things that um, is driving the cycle is churches when they sent when, you know, and the Holy Spirit's like, hey, it's time for some new wine, you know, in a new right. wine skin. And it's like, no, right. I'm attached to this one. I won't let it go. I can't, you know, <laughs> yeah, this thing that I love, I'm too attached to and I won't I won't let it die. So, again, man, we could do a whole I know. We need other to podcast on. Uh, <laughs> all that. Yeah, you'll be back. I mean, we'll be back as a whole as. Anytime. As another guest, that's that's a that's a very important conversation, um, I think, to have. So tell people like so. How can people get involved um, with Four Heroes and what you guys do? We're like every other organization that is looking for folks um, who will pray for us, who will come alongside and serve with us, folks who will support us financially. Uh, we are a nonprofit, and we rely heavily on um, the generosity of others. Uh, we're uh, looking for better ideas. Uh, some of our best ideas lately have come from uh, folks who are not me. Um, we, uh, we started a, a thing about a year ago where uh, we give um, new public safety babies uh, baby blankets. And uh, we've got a lady uh, from Rolling Hills who uh, makes these blankets, and she hand embroiders the names of these babies. And uh, we deliver them to these families. And, man, these families just think that's the best thing ever. Um, it's, it's so personal and we're able to tell them, um, with sincerity when we give those away, genuinely, every time you wrap that baby in that blanket, please remember that your friends for heroes are wrapping you and your family up, uh, in our prayers. Um, love that. That was somebody else's idea. Uh, we started a support group, uh, last week for, uh, wives, fiancés, and girlfriends of, um, folks who are serving in public safety. Uh, it's called the Comeback Club. Meets at Pinecrest Church the third Tuesday of every month. Uh, started last week. Got off to a bang. Uh, I'm so excited about that, and it was so well received. That was somebody else's idea. Uh, we need better ideas, and so uh, if you've got an idea, please share it. Uh, we're open to that. Uh, lots of ways for people to get involved. Uh, if you go to our website uh, for the number four. Our O U R Heroes H E R O E S dot org. Uh, you'll see all of these ways that folks can get involved, and uh, we'd love for you to check that out. Yeah, it's huge. Well, Frank, I, I got a feeling, man, you're going to be getting lunch pretty soon and uh, talking shop through a bunch <laughs> of stuff. Um, but yeah, man, looking forward to a ton of it. And uh, I don't know, we may have lost him here at the end, but he's he's oh the my best, gosh. dude. Yes. Where has he been all our lives? Yeah. I'm I know, right? glad we found him. But yeah, thank you. Th thank you guys for hanging out with us uh, this week. And we'll be back next week bringing some heaven here Bye. now. See you guys.